Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. Praise God. How are you guys tonight? Good. Good. It's sweet to be with you. It's sweet to worship with you guys. Um, It's sweet to make much of Jesus. That's our hope for tonight is to make much of Jesus. Um, We are jumping into a a talk tonight. Let me show you where we're going. Um, We are going to look at love in the realm of marriage and dating and romance. Um, The love that we are bombarded with in the culture that we live in. Um, that I would argue misdefines what love is and what romance is designed to be. Um, We're surrounded by false definitions and self-help books that are going to teach you how to find love and keep love um, and all of those things. Relationships, romantic relationships, they get ugly, they get hurtful, uh, they get awkward. uh, There is brokenness there. Healthy relationships at times feel elusive, and we can't find them, and we don't know where they're at. Uh, It is a world that we live in. There's disillusionment and shame and just confusion surrounding this topic. And so that's where we're going tonight. Um, What this talk is not gonna be is the solution to everything and fix everything and answer all of the questions. My hope for what it is, though, um, is to use scripture and to use God's word and to use this thing that we here believe is authoritative and to use it to really show us a controversial perspective of what love is, what it's designed to be in a way that really swim, swims upstream from how our culture would define things. Uh, and so how I wanna illustrate it is, is this way. Um, there's a lot of different things that we could talk about and I could talk about tonight, but I'm gonna pick three things. And I really want us to see those three things as lenses in which to look at. Um, <clears throat> lenses in which to look at that I think if we have an improper lens, we're going to see things the wrong way, obviously. And if we're looking through an improper lens or a foggy lens or a lens that's out of focus, uh, then what's gonna happen is all of a sudden we're gonna have a distorted view of relationships, of love, of romance, of dating, of marriage, and all of those things. And so what I want tonight to be is to really just kind of look through these three lenses. There's multiple lenses that we could talk about. Um, We talk about this every week, it feels like. But tonight I wanna really hammer home three things that I think are foundational. And so even that idea of lenses, I wanna illustrate it this way because I want it to stick in your head. So tonight we have the privilege of Manny on camera. Manny, will you zoom in on me, bro? So, so gosh. Um, okay, so, so, so what I want to illustrate is the idea that, man, there is a, I, I realize that I am not the ideal, but let's just, for the sake of this illustration, right? There is an idealness, right? That we want to get in focus, that we want to have, that we want to pursue, that we want to find. And so Manny's got a pretty tight close-up on me right now. So Manny, give, give me some space. Back up. <clears throat> okay. There we go. There we all are, folks. One of the things that happens, and this happens with a lot of things, but certainly it happens in relationships, is, man, we get our perspective off a couple of degrees to the left. That was really subtle, but I liked it. (laughs) Right? Which I think illustrates my point. We get our perspective off a couple of degrees up, right? Up a little. That is also really subtle. I don't know if this illustration is going to work, but we're going to go with it. And then if we get off a couple of degrees one way, we get off a couple of degrees another way and all of a sudden we get out of sync and all of a sudden then as we move closer, so go ahead and give us a zoom in now. I haven't moved. 
right? We do this all the time. Hey, there I am. Uh, for the people watching at home, they're like, what in the world is happening? But this happens all the time. We get our perspective out of sync. This is what I want you to stick in your mind, right? Thank you, Manny, very much. Uh, this is what I want you to stick in your mind. This idea that if our perspective, if the lenses we aren't looking through aren't lined up in the right way, and then all of a sudden we wonder as we walk, we get in a relationship and we get closer and closer and we walk down that road or we're pursuing a relationship or attempting to pursue a relationship and all of a sudden we get closer and closer and it just doesn't feel in focus. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't work. We're not sure why things aren't just lining up for us the way that maybe it, it, the perception would be other people just seem to line up. And so, man, there's three lenses, like I said, that I really want to zoom in on tonight that are gonna be, um, I think, really important. Uh, for us. And some of you are doing relationships great, right? And that's, that's awesome. And, and you're handling them well and you're in a great relationship. Some of them are disasters. Um, some of you relationships are, at least right now in your life, they're non-existent. And that is frustrating. And that's frustrating because as you zoom in, you think, where is this thing that should be there? Um, if you're a follower of Christ, I hope that tonight you leave here encouraged and challenged with something, right? Whether you're doing it well or knocking it out of the park or you're not, I hope that you leave here just to preview this. My goal, you leave here encouraged and challenged to at least make more of Jesus in your life. Um, if, you are, if you're here or you're watching this um, and you're not a Christian, I love that you're here. I, I genuinely love that you're here. And most likely the reason that you're not a Christian is probably for thoughtful reasons, right? Because you chose to not just drink the Kool-Aid or for whatever reason, or because you've had experiences or you've asked some good questions and you haven't gotten good answers yet. All of those reasons, I love that you're here. And I would actually encourage you, um, keep asking questions. We believe in a real and powerful God and we believe in a God who has designed us to function in a way where there is purpose and there is satisfaction. And so what you as, a, as somebody who maybe doesn't believe what we believe, um, I love that you're here because you're gonna get a behind the scenes look at how Christians should approach our perspective, which is very countercultural of what biblically it should look like. And we drop the ball all the time. And so if you're not a Christian, I'm sure you're well aware of hypocrisy that you see in the church. My hope is that you get a glimpse more of Jesus uh, and what is true and what is real. Um, Okay, so these three lenses. I should make a note to um, the first lens I'm gonna spend a disproportionate amount of time on. And so when I transition from lens one to lens two, you're gonna be like, wow, are they all this long? And they're not, okay? We're just gonna have to camp out on lens one for a while because it's the hinge for a lot of other things that we're gonna talk about. And so lens one is this. The first primary thing that we gotta make sure we get in order and understand correctly if we're gonna do this thing correctly is the idea of how we see dating the lens of how we see dating. And if you're a married couple, hang on, because this is absolutely still going to apply to you. Uh, so stay with me here. Um, but if you are not married yet and you don't see, your lens is off and you don't have a proper biblical perspective of what dating really is, then things will get stale and you will get disappointed and you will get ultimately frustrated. And so in order to see biblical dating correctly, I think we have to see biblical marriage. In order to really understand, am I doing this dating thing right? I think tonight what we're gonna do is we're going to, in lens one, jump into what is marriage biblically. Um, and you can't wait until you're married or until you're about to get married to figure out the answer to that question. If you have waited until marriage to figure out, okay, what's biblical marriage or until your engagement, I would make the argument you have waited too long. 
And not waited too long in the sense of, oh no, everything's ruined, but waited too long in the sense of, man, dating was supposed to be a preparation for those stages. And so there are things that you're probably gonna have to backtrack um, and and make up. Let me be clear, um, real clear. The presupposition that I'm starting from in this sermon is that the goal of dating, the goal of dating is to evaluate if this is a person you wanna marry. The goal of dating Uh, The purpose of dating is to evaluate if you want to marry somebody. That's the purpose. And let me let me uh, just support that um, with just some some intuitive things that we see all the time. If you are in a relationship and it ends, right? You usually use rhetoric like, "Yeah, it didn't work out," right? If you're dating somebody and it ends, you use rhetoric like, "It didn't work out. We broke up." It was, and even if it ends well. Right, Even if it's not like a nasty breakup, there's still a level of like, yeah, that just wasn't the right, the right perspective. That he wasn't right for me, she wasn't right for me, all of those things. Um, and so for that reason, um, I think, I think it, it goes to show that dating is, serves a purpose. And if dating is a recreational sport, it is a really bad recreational sport. Um, it is a really dangerous, costly thing to just date without a, a purpose, um, without a real goal and without a fundamental drive for it. Um, just dating for the sake of dating without any goal or ambition or, or end um, purpose to it is going uh, to ultimately lead to honestly a really unsatisfying lifestyle. Um, if we define dating, right? If that's how we define it for the purpose of spousal evaluation. Not that you marry everyone you date, you date somebody and maybe on the first date, you're like, nope, not gonna spend my life with that person, great. Or maybe you don't say yes to a date because you know of those reasons. But if that's how we do it, then in order to get the proper lens on dating, um, we've gotta make sure we're pointed in the right direction, right? And so we've got to study that goal. Let me, um, let me explain it this way. If I, which I know oftentimes I get confused for a professional athlete, but if I decide, uh, I decide, you know what? I want to be a professional wide receiver. I want to be a starting wide receiver for an NFL team. Let's just say in my youth, I decided I want to be a starting wide receiver for an NFL team. Um, And if I decide that, then that's going to dictate how I work out, right? The goal, how I approach exercise and health and how I work out, how I train is going to be dictated by the fact of I want to be a professional wide receiver. So the way that I handle nutrition and the way that I practice and, and study film tape and, and run routes and the drills that I do would be very different if I say I want to be a professional bodybuilder. The goal there when I go to the gym, same gym, but the goal would absolutely be dictated, would dictate how I work out, how I evaluate, how I move forward and all those things. Um, the coaches I get, the people I get speaking into my life. And, and so for that reason, if dating is for the purpose of, is this the person I'm going to get married? Um, then we've got to understand what is marriage? What does that actually look like? What is that supposed to be? And if I can understand what that's really supposed to be and what a healthy one really looks like and what it looks like for me, then that then dictates for me the pathway to how I evaluate in the crazy broken world we live in. Um, coincidentally, there's very little in the Bible about dating. Luckily for us, there's a ton about marriage. So Ephesians 5 is where I'm gonna take us um, right now. And Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 30 uh, is I think one of the best and deepest passages on specifically helping define what marriage is uh, and what God actually designed marriage to be. 
I'll read it and we'll also put it up on the screen for you if that's easier. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, you're not off the hook. Hang on. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. There is so much here in this passage. Uh, So much here in this passage. Um, We're not gonna have time to unpack everything in it, but I wanna wanna raise uh, the major theme up. Um, There's such strong language about submission and gender roles. We don't have time in this sermon to, to tackle those things. But what marks biblical marriage in this passage? Right? I want to show us what, what is the marks as, as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 is saying, this is what biblical marriage looks like. He is being very explicit and radical with what distinguishes it. And it is sacrifice and it is service and it is selflessness. That's what makes, that is how he defines marriage. He doesn't talk anything about feelings or warm fuzzies. He, he, he talks about this is what it means to be a wife. This is what it means to be a husband. And it is these massive themes of sacrifice and, and love her the way you love your body and submit and serve and surrender and lay your life down for her. And all of these huge sacrificial themes, both to husbands and to wives and wives are both called to this, this almost fight to who's gonna take the short end of the stick. Who's gonna get to take the short end of the stick? And I see this picture of a husband and wife saying, no, I wanna serve you. No, I wanna serve you. Well, I'm supposed to submit to you. Well, I'm supposed to lay my life down for you. So you submit to me while I'm serving you and laying my, it is this beautiful picture of surrender of what marriage foundationally has been designed to do. You love that person as much as you love yourself, your own body, that's how you care for them. Verse 31 through 33, he kind of concludes and he, he makes this point. He says, therefore, In verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery, the mystery of marriage and how this works, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The foundation of marriage is not what the other person will be able to do for me. That's not the foundation of marriage. Um, Men are called here to see the foundation of marriage as I want to love her, my wife. This is what I'm signing up for. The way Christ loved the church and how did Christ love the church? The church betrayed him. The church cheated on him and he laid his life down for a church, a bride that was undeserving. He went to the cross, his joy to go to the cross for the bride, for the people he loves. That is the picture of what Christ has done for us. And 
God's word is saying, and that is why marriage exists. That is the slab. That is the foundation for what marriage is. Is it supposed to be a picture of two people who are sacrificing themselves for each other to show each other Christ-likeness? That is what you are signing up for in marriage. And it's not just, okay, I know I'll need to make a lot of compromises in marriage, right? Yeah, okay, I get it. When I get married, I'll have to like, you know, put the toilet seat down and I'll have to like share a parking spot or a toothbrush. Toothbrush would be weird. You don't share a toothbrush, but you get the idea. It's not just about making compromises. It's really about this relationship. My life is to show Jesus to that other person. Um, Matt Lance is another pastor here at Christ Chapel. And I remember him saying, it's stuck in my head ever since he said it. He said, so often we date out of our insecurity rather than our security. And I love that phrase. And I think that's so true. If dating is towards marriage, and if the end goal of marriage is me laying my life down for somebody and showing them how Christ loves them and being a picture of Christ's likeness to that person, if that's the end goal and that's what I'm supposed to be pursuing, and yet instead what happens is I am actually dating from insecurity instead of security. And and here's what I mean by that. Um, I'm so often, people are dating and you're saying, how is this person going to fill this thing for me? How is this person going to make me feel? How do I feel when I'm around her? How do I feel when I'm around him? How does he fulfill and satisfy? And so it's an insecurity in us. And with that insecurity, that's what we use as our metal detector to pursue and to evaluate, which is if that means our lens is off. That's a broken tool for evaluation. We're just dating out of an insecurity. Um, uh, Francis Chan, in in one of his books on marriage, he had this illustration of uh, airplanes and the oxygen masks. If you ever sat in an airplane which we all have and the guy comes on and we all ignore the whole speech that they do. But one of the things they say every time is in case of an emergency, oxygen masks will fall from uh, the ceiling and you pull them down. And if you're traveling with a minor, they instruct you, put yours on first, put on your oxygen mask first and then help whoever you are with. And that's for a really logical reason from an airliner because they don't want you to pass out and then nobody's helping your six-year-old who doesn't know how to get the mask on. It's You've got to get your oxygen on first. So many relationships are broken and unhealthy because the lens is backwards. And instead we say, I need your oxygen. You need to be my source. I need you, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the spouse, the wife, the husband. This doesn't go away in marriage, right? It's just compounded further. I need your oxygen. You need to be my source. And and it's not God's design for that. Um, I say at weddings, every, I get to officiate, one of my favorite parts of what I get to do, I get to officiate a lot of weddings. And every wedding, every wedding I can think of that I've ever done, um, I, I will say this line when they're standing in front of me. I will say, what you are signing up for today is not just signing up for somebody who will complete you. That's not what you're doing in marriage. You are signing up for somebody who will push you to the ultimate one who can really complete you. That's the purpose and design of how marriage works. And if that's true, if that's how God designed it, if that's true, then that should give us a ton of hope and a ton of ways of how we can apply that in our perspective changing and in dating. Let me show you, let me show you how that affects. All of a sudden, if I'm, if I'm single, if you're single, all of a sudden, I'm not just, I'm not just a passive victim waiting for my soulmate to come along. If the design of marriage is really this picture of me being self-sufficient in who I am in Christ, 
so that I might have a healthy relationship with the Lord so that I might sign up to be a picture of Christ to somebody else, if that's the goal, then all of a sudden, I don't just have to sit back and feel bad that like, man, nobody's coming my way and I'm just stuck on the bench. Instead, all of a sudden, I have something very active to do. I have something very active that I'm called to do. If you are single, right? There is the priority, the number one ingredient for your future relationship is available to you right now in your waiting. And that is how do I become healthier and closer and more in love with Jesus and more aware, deeply aware at how he loves me. So all of a sudden, we're not just passive victims twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the right person who's going to complete us. All of a sudden, we say, wait a second, now I have a job to do because my oxygen mask wouldn't come from that person anyway. I want my roots to go deep. Um, instead of asking um, how, this, how this lens shifts, is instead of asking questions like, is he the right guy? Is she the right girl? All of a sudden, our perspective shifts and it starts to ask the question of who am I? Right? Who who am I in Christ? Do I know who my father is and how he loves me? Do I love him? Is my love for him growing? All of a sudden, I'm less concerned with is he right? Is she okay? Is she the right one? And more concerned with am I pursuing the Lord in a way that I am ready to lay my life down for someone. Instead of asking the question, am I ready to get married? I start asking, am I ready to lay my life down for someone? And you see how radically that changes our perspective? Instead of being stuck in this place of saying, okay, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready and if I met the right person, I say, am I ready? Not am I ready to get married, am I ready to lay my life down and show that person who Christ is with my life? (laughs) I got work to do. I've been married for 14 years and I am still asking and trying to answer and trying to deepen that question. That's not a box. For those of you who feel paralyzed, like, well, when will I ever be ready, right? That is the sanctification process. The rest of your life, in your marriage, It is still the question you ask, am I deepening the way in which I love the Lord and am loved by the Lord so that I can be who I'm called to be to this woman, to this man that I'm called to walk with? And instead of looking at their brokenness or what they don't do, instead, I have a lot of work to do to say, I need to grow in my roots. Foundationally, I show Christ's love to that person. Not just some self-produced emotion that I've got to maintain, for as long as we're married, but I show Christ's love. That's the purpose. Not that I have a soulmate, not that I just have a best friend, not that I have somebody who completes me, that won't last. But I get to be a picture of Jesus. And the only way that works is if I am walking deeply with Jesus. Another thing um, that I think potentially shifts, even with just lens one, and an understanding, a healthier understanding of, okay, if this is dating to that end of mature in Christ and lay down my life and be a picture of Jesus, um, then another thing that changes is, I think if, if you've been in really bad relationships and you just, they just weren't compatible and, and that becomes a cycle and it goes from, man, I was in this relationship and I thought it was fine and then 
all of a sudden it wasn't, I guess, and we just weren't compatible and it got toxic and we, and we broke up. And then I find myself in another relationship and I thought that one started fine. And then all of a sudden, well, some stuff got revealed and maybe we're just not actually that compatible. And man, okay, we broke up there. And then I went to another and it becomes this cycle where you keep getting into relationships that obviously you get into them because it seems like it's got a good future and a good history maybe. And, and then all of a sudden you realize maybe quickly or maybe over a long period of time, you're just not compatible. And, and I think one of the things that this perspective does is um, I think it shines some light that maybe compatibility isn't the root issue, right? Maybe the root issue isn't compatibility in this cycle that you're stuck in of believing, well, I just haven't found the right compatible person. Um, maybe it's this perspective lens is off that a guy and a girl romantically is not designed to be compatible enough for you and what you're making them and what you're looking for or what they're looking for in you unfairly is unsustainable. And maybe it lasts a while and it's good. And maybe that even lasts into marriage and it's good. And then you realize in marriage, well, wait a second, we've built this thing on you being compatible for me and me being compatible for you. And now we're five years in and we don't, we don't like each other as much as we used to. The things that we were compatible on just don't seem to give sparks anymore. And then we wonder, well, why is that? I hope you find freedom in this tonight. If you find yourself in that cycle, I hope that there is so much freedom in what God's word says about the design of it. Because if you thought, if you thought, I'm just, I'm just so broken that no one is able to find me compatible. If that's a lie that has played in your head, if that's a, if that's a loop that goes on in your head, I'm just so broken that no one will fit me and be able to complete this thing in me. And you bounce from disappointment to disappointment to disappointment. Find freedom in this. You are that broken. But that's not unique to you. That's not a unique unlovableness to you. That, that, that's, that's the design and not the design. But because we are in romantic relationships not designed to complete you, then yes, that is going to be a cycle. Um, and it might cope and smooth pain over for a period of time. Let me illustrate it this way. If I, um, my son has got a 12 volt uh, hot, uh, hot wheel, like one of those power Jeep wheels, like a blue Jeep that he drives around our neighborhood on. It's pretty cool. We didn't have those things when I was a kid. Uh, we just played with rocks and sticks, but he has that. And it's sweet. And if I, um, if I came to you really distraught and just said, man, am I just, am I just so fat that I can't take my son's 12 volt Hot Wheel blue Jeep to work? Am I just that heavy? Have I, have I let my, my dad bod gotten that out of control that my son's 12 volt car won't get me to my 20 minute commute to the church? You would hear that and you would be like, yeah, that's not designed to do that, right? You gotta work on your dad bod, but aside from that, that's not designed for anyone to do that, right? That thing is designed to go drive a grown-up 20 minutes away. So I want you to feel freedom that if you feel like you're in this cycle of relationships that keep blowing up and you keep thinking, well, I just haven't found the right compatible piece and you start believing, well, is there just something that unlovable about me? No, but there is something that flawed with how you are pursuing with your perspective, with your lens of what you're trying to find in that relationship and dating somebody who is also trying to find that from you, 
which as hard as you try and as spectacular as you are, I'm sure you're spectacular, you won't be able to ultimately fulfill. Understanding the design of marriage is everything for how we date. I mean, that is foundational lens that we have to look through for how, for how we date. Do we see it properly? Do we see it as a means to evaluate if we want to lay down our life, not, in a, not just in a physical way, I want to serve you, but I want to show you Jesus. Not just I want to bring you orange juice and breakfast in bed, but I want to love you and show you and speak truth into your life of who you are. And I'm only able to do that because I am close to Jesus. Because I am experiencing his grace. Because I am experiencing how he loves me and the grace he has for me and what he says about me and what he says about you. And in that way. And so we don't have to obsess about them or who and this person or that person or why is it not happening for me or why isn't it working? We've got work to do. And so I want there to be freedom in that. I want there to be freedom to say, even in my waiting, the number one ingredient for health I can work on now. And that's, I wanna lean into Jesus. I wanna get discipled. I wanna sit under truth. I wanna, I wanna read. I wanna know who he is. I wanna find other people who are walking closely with him. And I want to do that. And I don't have to just be frustrated that the dates aren't coming or they're not working or whatever that looks like. Lens two, lens two. Um, everything hinges off of this design of, of marriage and dating. But lens two is the idea of how we see the opposite sex. Um, and so let's say, let's say we've got lens one down, right? Or at least mostly down. That's not necessarily new information. And you've got a pretty good biblical worldview framework that you're seeing dating. And you think, okay, I got, I'm, I'm doing it, right? I'm trying to find somebody that I really do want to be a, a picture of Jesus for and her whole life or the rest of his life. I want to just really love them the way Christ loves them. And that's what I'm signing up for, to, to really show them that picture. Great. But I still can't find anyone to be able to go deep with. And I'm looking for that. And I think that lens one is, is correct and proper. And there are so many reasons that, that that could be, right? So many circumstantial reasons and work and all kinds of things. There's lots of reasons. And not all those reasons are bad. Some of them, like I said, are just circumstantial. But one of them, a reason at times that we aren't seeing is that we aren't seeing people properly. That maybe, yes, sure, we're seeing biblical dating and marriage properly of what it's supposed to be, but we're not seeing the opposite sex properly, right? I'm let, ready to lay down my life for Christ, but then we start adding qualifiers to someone with washboard abs, Right? I, I'm ready to be a picture of Jesus to somebody who is smoking hot, right? I am, I am ready to just love them the way Christ loved them, but they gotta be funny and make me laugh and have a good job and drive a good car or come for money, whatever it is, right? We just start adding qualifiers. And so all of a sudden we start looking at people, our perspective on, on relationships might be correct, but all of a sudden we have this tainted view of how we see uh, the opposite sex, right? And I'm not saying that that's all garbage, right? I'm not saying it's like, oh, we shouldn't evaluate people and we shouldn't take in circumstances in, into hand. Of course we should, and we should evaluate and we should look at those things thoughtfully and those things um, matter. But I think we do put too much weight on things. And I think, I think we don't weigh them properly at times. And so our view of the girl, our view of the guy gets distorted. And there's a lot of ways that lens can get distorted. A lot of ways. I'm gonna talk about three of them. One of them is pornography. And honestly, it doesn't even have to be pornography. It just has to be living in 2021, right? We are bombarded with images of a world that we are trying to swim upstream 
to sign up to a relationship that I want to pour my life. And we are bombarded with this is what is attractive physically. This is what it should look like. This is what he should look like. She should look like, right? Our ads, our commercials, right? We are bombarded by those things. And those things start to distort the lens in which we see the opposite sex, And so sure, we want a Christ-like marriage and that's what we're looking for and I'm pursuing to that end, but we don't see our sisters in front of us for how beautiful they are. We don't see our brothers in front of us for how attractive they are because it's been distorted by stinking Matthew McConaughey. He has single-handedly ruined us. That guy is beautiful and fun and likable in his accent. It's not my point. I didn't have that written here. Our view of people, our image of people gets distorted though, all the time. It gets distorted. And so we've got to change that. We've got to say, okay, how do I correct that? Another way that our view can get distorted, and this is much more subconscious, is expectations, right? The expectations distort how we see someone. And we have maybe even subconscious expectations or maybe family expectations, uh, this tied to this idea of, well, what can they do for me? Or this isn't who I pictured. Um, and I pictured somebody kind of different. And it's not, necessarily a, it's not necessarily a shallow visual thing. It's just the expectations of, well, the pressure from my mom, or this is always who my dad was. I always thought I'd marry somebody like him, or I always thought I would marry something not like him and that, whatever it looks like. And so we have these expectations that cloud it. But also that lens, third and finally, um, <laughs> we've got our own experiences that jack up that lens. Now, how we see the opposite sex is so affected by our own personal experiences in dating and, and with the opposite sex. And I don't, I don't wanna skip past that because uh, that's really important. And that's, that's a real thing. So many of us have had really bad relationships. We've had interactions with the opposite sex that have left us hurting really hurting. And so of course that would taint the lens in which we see men or women because we've been hurt, because of all kinds of stuff that can happen. So we have this God who redeems those things. We have this God that doesn't offer us quick fixes um, doesn't just say push these buttons and then all those things will go away. And um, certainly it doesn't mean that um, we don't also have wisdom and boundaries and it doesn't, I can forgive somebody and still not trust them. Um, but those things start to shape our biblical, uh, our, our proper view of, of the opposite sex. And, and I think even, well, what's the biblical lens that we get that from, right? How do we adjust that? Where, where do we get this idea that maybe our lens should be changed? And I would encourage you to do this. I don't have a verse for you. I have four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels. And in it, they show who Jesus is. If you read and study the gospels, you will see a God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ who sees through a lens and he sees people different than we see him. He sees people differently. There's a a story in Luke 19 of a guy named Zacchaeus who was awful, right? He is a person that nobody liked. Nobody liked this guy. He was a thief and just a all around bad person to everyone around him. And Jesus sees him in a tree because he's curious about this whole Jesus thing. And Jesus sees this guy, a guy who's incredibly unpopular, who will offer Jesus nothing. This guy is only going to be unpopular to hang out with. Jesus sees through a different lens. 
Jesus doesn't see this person through the lens of the world around us. It says, no, that guy isn't cool. Don't know that person's not good enough. That girl's not good enough. That guy's not good enough. He sees differently and he values. And he says, we're gonna go eat dinner and it's controversial and it's shocking and people are offended. And then what? Why is he hanging out with Zacchaeus? That's who Jesus sees. In John 8, which I talked about last month, a woman who was caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, surrounded by people, caught in sexual sin, cheated on husbands, married to multiple husbands, in the act of cheating on a current husband, brought before Jesus. And Jesus sees her and shows compassion to her. And he doesn't just see her with a label like everyone else does. He doesn't just see her past and honestly her present sin as this thing that means that, oh man, you're, you're disqualified from me. He sees and loves um, even his enemies. <laughs> talk, about, talk about an ability to, to forgive, to ability to, to see people who are hurting you or who have hurt you. In Luke 23, and just about every gospel where Jesus is hanging on the cross, um, there's, a, there's a testimony of Jesus when he is hanging on a cross and his accusers are below him. The people who are currently in the act of abusing him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're blind, they're fools. And that's God. He's the God of infinite mercy and grace. That's who he is. That's not a quick fix for us, but it should be a challenge. And my hope is it gives you hope for how we correct that lens. If you don't see the opposite sex in the right way, spend time studying Jesus, get close to him, ask him to renew your mind that you would see women, that you would see men in the way that he values them. Not in the way they have hurt you, not in the way that you think you're supposed to, not in the way that our world says is attractive but how he sees them. Ask for those eyes. He will purify. And then lastly, um, last thing is this. And I'm gonna end on this. The last lens um, is how we see ourselves, And I think this is huge. Um, I think um, so often the brokenness in relationships is rooted in the idea that I don't see myself properly. Um, I see myself uh, in light of, well, this is my sin. This is the mistakes I've made. So often, um, man, I've gotten to walk with young adults for over 10 years and walk through every kind of brokenness in relationships and sad stuff, but also seeing incredible redemption that gives me hope that like the worst situation God can heal. But one of the constant themes that always I see um, it's people who will show up and they'll just think, well, I'm not worthy anymore. I've already made all those mistakes. I've already, I'm ruined now. And I dated this girl one time. Her name was Danielle. She's now my wife. Um, when I was dating Danielle, so much of her story was tied to this idea that she had had some, she had had a really toxic relationship before we had started dating. And it was, it was just really dark and really manipulative and really sexual in a lot of ways. And, um, and she just, walked into our relationship, loving Jesus, but really had a broken lens of how she saw herself through Christ and just thought, man, I'm, I've kind of ruined myself. And I think when that happens, and we let shame just bury us, we, we let shame sell us this lie that, well, this is as good as we're ever gonna do, or this is the best we're gonna deserve, I just want you to hear me say that's not true. 
man, if you have gone down some roads and there's brokenness in your past and when you think about relationships, you've got a lot of tally marks against you and you feel like, well, this is just not, I don't deserve it now. Look, we're broken people. And what we sign up for is a God who says, I meet you in your brokenness and I will redeem and I will restore. That's the God we have. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. The old self is removed from us if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, that old self, those old habits are gone. And now you put on the new self. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Romans 8, 1. There is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what that means is no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how messed up things have gotten in relationships or your past or your sin struggles, don't let that broken lens, don't see yourself through the lens of just your brokenness. See yourself through the lens of what scripture says. Come to me. I will make you white as snow. I will make you a new creation. If you've never done that, if you've tried religion to clean yourself, come to worship services and great worship music and hear sermons or listen to podcasts and and religion becomes a way to try to clean yourself and you still don't feel clean, it's because religion isn't designed to clean yourself. Jesus is designed to purify and make new. So stop trying moralism. Stop running from a God who desires to make you new and run towards a God and surrender to a God who says, I am here. Quit striving, rest in me. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Would you put your hope in that? And would you stop making me a category, but surrender your life to a God who makes new? And then God, give us eyes to see us the way you see us. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Um, we need you. And God, I just, I pray, um, I pray that you would make new the things that are old. I pray that you would make Uh, that you would adjust and fix and repair the things that are broken in how we see relationships and how we see others and how we see ourselves. Um, God, you are so good and you are so kind and you are so gracious. Give us wisdom and discernment and how to navigate uh, these things that are all around us. Give us your perspective and your truth. Father, would we see each other the way you see us and we Change our hearts, God. And Father, for my brothers in this room or my sisters in this room or watching this sermon who just feel so buried by shame, who don't feel like they've been made new, who don't feel like they're gonna deserve a husband or a wife who loves them the way Christ does, God, would you remind them of how good you are? Would you tonight not let them leave this room without being overwhelmed by your kindness? That you are better than everything else the world has to offer, that you would help us believe that truth and that you would just overwhelm us with your kindness. And that would lead us to running to you, God. That's what we want. That's all we want, God. That's all we need. Relationships aren't gonna fix us. 
satisfy us. We want you, we need you. So God, show up. Do what only you could do for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.